From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Welcome to What's Wrong with Revenue. This is episode three. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing extremely well. Today's show, we're going to talk about the lack of connection between investment and expectations. So this is kind of a complicated topic. And before we get into it, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping, as you like to say. So we've set up a uh, question capture device on our Square2 website. So if you're joining the show and you would like to ask us questions in the future, you can go to square2marketing.com. And at the very bottom in the footer, there's a link to what's wrong with revenue. And if you click on that, there's a form that will allow you to submit questions to Eric and me for future shows. So if anyone is listening and you have a question, you'd like us to address it, head over there. Uh, fill out a very short form. You don't have to give us any contact information if you would prefer not to. Submit the question and we will take care of it. We've been getting a few questions, Eric, over the past week. So we have some questions from listeners and watchers and subscribers that we can handle today. But I wanted to just uh, pass that along to anyone who might have a question and not be sure how to ask us. Of course, you can chat us live during the show. So there's a Q&A button at the bottom of the Zoom bar that you can also uh, ask us live and we will deal with your questions live. And we are streaming this uh, episode as we did last week on Facebook Live. So if you're on Facebook and you're watching our show and you would like to submit a question, I am doing my best today to monitor the Facebook Live feed so I can answer and direct your question as well. Thank you all for joining us. As I said, this episode three is going to cover the sometimes complicated fact of connecting investment with expectations. Now, Eric, you talk to a lot of people before they become clients at Square Two, and you deal with the question of budget and investment and expectations quite frequently. So maybe you could kick us off a little bit in terms of what you've seen in the market around CEOs and business owners' ability to understand what's required from an investment perspective to get them the kind of results they're expecting. And then as you answer, I will uh, talk about some of the questions and kind of guide the conversation a little bit. Does that work for you? Sure does. So just to, set the, yeah, just to set the table a little bit, Mike and I are partners and I handle the prospective clients and kind of work through their strategy and ask them lots of questions to see if we could help them. Uh, the number one concern we have is making it a good fit. Part of that fit is the financial component of an engagement. Now, I'll start my commentary by saying that across the board, 
people do not invest enough in sales and marketing. And let's make sure that we include sales in there, Mike, because it depends on, you know, wherever folks are on the buyer's journey, we have to invest in all those areas. So you might be thinking to yourself, oh, these guys have an agency. Of course, they want you to spend a lot of money. And of course we do, but not because we want to get rich. It's because we need the right budget in order to achieve goals and objectives. People ask me literally every day, hey, Eric, how much money should I spend on marketing? And I say, I don't know. How much do you want to grow your business? Because if you're a million dollar company and you want to be a million one next year, you really don't need too much marketing, right? Some good execution, a decent website, some referrals, that'll get you there. But if you're a $30 million company and you really want to be a $40 million company, yeah, you need a decent amount of marketing to generate enough opportunities for your sales team to attack, close, and hit the revenue number. So what typically happens is lots of prospective clients come in with a laundry list of needs that they want to have done. Fix up our website. Make sure that we have enough content. How can we nurture these people? I want to get HubSpot installed, right? But yet, on the other side, they set their budget at something very, very low. Or I shouldn't say low, comparatively low compared to all the things that they want to do. And they spend a lot of time searching for the lowest cost provider, which is perfectly fine if that's your strategy. But then typically we see that folks are disappointed after a year with a low cost agency or an independent contractor, they end up coming back to us anyway, because they have to have it done on a little bit of a higher level. And the reason I'm saying that is one, our companies, one of our six companies core values is no fluff. If you're sitting in on this um, live cast today, then I think you want to know the truth. And the truth really is, is that if you want to have a healthy growing business, your investment in marketing and sales has to be as robust as your investment in operations, human resources, um, research and development. And, you know, these are all the pillars of a healthy company, but people often ignore the marketing pillar because they say things like, well, we'll get a junior person or an intern can do our social media they don't invest in strategy. Uh, they try to hire a marketing manager to do the strategy and the uh, tactical work, which is challenging because that person just doesn't have experience enough to be able to set a strategy and a host of other things. Now, just to wrap up my opening comments, what we do is we take them through the uh, five D's process that we have at Square Two, right? Discovery, diagnostic, design, delivery, and delight. And through that process, we want to elongate the getting to know you so that we could really understand the companies that are coming to us and understand what it's going to take to get them to the next revenue plateau. We go through this entire diagnostic. We uh, reflect back their goals and objectives. The prospect says, yes, that's exactly what I want to accomplish. We hang a price tag on it that we feel is reasonable or fair, and they're sticker shock. And that's because in general, once again, just to wrap a bow around them, people don't value marketing and sales investment as they would in a, a shiny new machine in their factory because that has some like real tangible value. And that kind of sets the table for the challenges that folks have trying to get the best possible marketing and sales support they can, but also not allocating enough in their budget to achieve that. And they end up in, in the middle, which is kind of wishy-washy and they never get the results that they're looking for. Yeah, that's a great uh, opening statement. And I want to just add on to what Eric was saying. This really, this conversation has nothing to do with agencies. Okay. This is all about whether your company is investing enough in, in marketing and sales to hit your revenue goals, right? It's actually irrelevant whether you try to do it yourself, hire a team of people, 
use contractors, hire an agency, it's actually irrelevant. We're not going to talk at all about the configuration of how you get these services executed in your company. The, today's show is really all about understanding that there is a direct correlation. If you haven't done any marketing in your company or the marketing you've done has been uh, you know, a trade show here or there, some brochures, you, know, you did your website a couple of years ago, it, it, it's almost a more passive approach than an active approach. And the results are aligned with that. You, you, you maybe get a handful of visitors to your website a month. You really don't get any leads from any of your marketing activities. If that sounds like your company and you want to change that and you want to change it dramatically, then you're going to have to invest accordingly. And I think that's one of the big takeaways that I'd like everybody to, to go home with today is the amount of money you're thinking about investing in marketing and sales or, or, or digital growth, revenue generation, the amount you're thinking about investing has to be proportionate to your expectations. So let me give you a, a more concrete example. If, you're, if you are the company I described and you're getting a, a handful of leads a month from your marketing, and you would like that to go to 100 leads a month, and you would like to do that in a couple of months, you're willing to wait 90 days to go from zero to 100, <coughs> excuse me, then you should be prepared to invest somewhere around 10 to $15,000 a month because that is what it's going to take to get your marketing ramped up from zero to 60 in a short amount of time. And honestly, that's probably on the low end, right? That's probably on the, the minimum viable uh, uh, investment to move the needle at all. Anything less than that might move the needle, but it's gonna move it very slowly and it's going to take much longer. So again, if you're, if you're okay with that, if your expectations are, Mike, Eric, you know, I'm willing to go from zero to 100 uh, over 12 months, well then, yeah, you can invest less. We can go a little slower and your results will, will follow. If you say, Mike, Eric, look, I, you know, I'm under the gun here. I need to go from zero to 130 days. Well, then you're looking at a much larger investment over that 30-day period. It's directly proportional. I want everybody to understand that there's, there's a relationship. If you have lofty goals, be prepared to invest in an equally lofty manner to produce those results. Now, Mike, back to your comments about whether you hire an agency or doing it in-house doesn't matter. Um, I actually am going to push back on you a little bit because those figures you quoted would be really great in a marketing agency setting to hire a group of people to execute the marketing strategy, tactics, campaigns, technology. That would be fine. But I'm going to put it back on you, Mike. Let's say you have a $20 million company. Is uh, $120,000 to $180,000 in salaries enough to pull that off? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And if you Google, because I've done this many times, because this is constantly a question people ask us, what percentage of revenue should I be investing in marketing? It's a, it's a very common question. You can Google it and you'll get a lot of answers. Some of those articles from those experts say 10% of sales, right? So to Eric's point, if you're doing $20 million, that's $2 million, $2 million over the course of the year, you should be investing in marketing far more than most of the companies that we see, right? There are some articles and some experts who say 
you should be investing 1%. That's $200,000. Even that number is high when you look at a $20 million business from our experience. However, I think somewhere in that ballpark, one to 10% of revenue is probably the right number if you have aggressive goals. Now, Eric mentioned this earlier. If your goals are not aggressive, instead of going from zero to 100, you wanna go from zero to 10, well, yeah, you can do that with a, a more modest investment, but you have to understand the connection there between your goals and how fast you wanna grow the company. So it's not only expe expectations around performance, but it's time to get to that performance are all factors in how much you should be investing in marketing. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's really good advice. Now. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked to the owner of a $50 million or so manufacturing firm. And I said, we got to get you leads. We have to condense this. And he goes, listen, I'm doing great. I got a $50 million company. We're consistently profitable. I have really good people. I came to you because I'm embarrassed by my 1973 brown and orange website. Let's focus on that so that we could bring that up to speed. Give me best practices around what a good website should be. And maybe I'll do some other stuff. Like his pain was not acute around lead generation. There you can spend $5,000 a month and piece out a nice website over six months so that it's not a lot of pressure internally. But that's one in 20 calls. The other 19 meetings that I have with people are like, if we don't get uh, our three leads per week up to 10 leads per week, we're not going to be able to hit our goals, you know, desperately help me. And that's where I think the majority of the people listening to this show should really uh, uh, pay a bit of attention about the allocation of budget. Now, Back to your question, Mike, let's take about what, what it really takes to do a good program and we'll price it out, right? So you have your strategy, you have your tactical implementation, you have your campaigns, and you have your technology. So when you're talking about strategy, Mike, profile for the audience, the person internally that would be able to drive a really sharp strategy. Well, your CMO or marketing director should be able to lead a strategy conversation that is cross-departmental uh, with a company's leadership team and ask them the right questions and run them through the right set of exercises to create the, the overall strategy that you would need to, to drive a, a marketing and sales go-to-market strategy. Exactly. CMO, VP of marketing, let's throw out a ballpark of what an annual salary package might look like. Well, that's a great question because today those people are making a lot more money than they were making even a couple of years ago. And if you're talking about a CMO, I mean, you could be talking in the uh, 180, 160, even 200. Uh, Let's I, use 200 I, to be uh, to make the well, math. Well, 200 might be more of a you know corporate, more you know a larger company CMO job. You might be able to get a CMO for a smaller company for a little bit less than that, but. You got the ball. No You're let, in the neighborhood. Right. Let's use 150. Now let's okay, move to great. tactics, right? For yeah. tactics, we need someone to build out the website. We need someone to create content, right? We need someone to uh, use the technology. So a good, solid marketing manager that works under that CMO, give me a salary on that. Uh, 80. Okay. And what about a content creator or a copywriter? Um, 60. Right? 60, 60, but that's okay, probably in today's market also a, a little bit low, but sure, well, there you go. Just some back and napkin. Sure. Now let's move to campaigns. How much for a good HubSpot campaign manager? Uh, 60. Okay, good. And give me an average monthly fee for a robust HubSpot subscription with both the Marketing Hub and the Sales Pro. Two grand a month. 
So we'll call that 24,000. So in that just back of napkin, which would be absolutely essential to run a marketing department that would generate a good amount of leads for a typical middle market company, you got 150, 230, 290, 350 plus 24 is 374. And I cannot do that math, but if I take 374 and I divide it by 12 months, my budget is going to be $31,000 per month. Now, yeah. $31,000 per month is one way to skin that cat, but you said it yourself, fifteen dollars to $20,000 for an agency would be the second way to skin that cat. I'm not saying which way is right, but whether you're spending twenty dollars or thirty-one, dollars you got to spend some money there in order to at least uh, execute the basic lead generation and sales team closing you know, or uh, opportunities that the sales team can close a uh, scenario. And that's where you have to be thinking about that. I mean, we're just making up numbers here, but 31 doesn't go to $3,000 and 31 doesn't go to 310,000. Could it be off by five, 10,000 a month? Sure, but we're trying to illustrate here that it's important that you really invest in that. Now, let me just add to that before you go on. I think what you're illustrating for everybody is interesting because you know we talk a lot about what it costs to hire an agency, and get the results they expect. The, the internal team we just back up napkin for everybody is also what it's going to take to drive results. So if you hired simply your CMO, who's going to build the website? Who's going to go into HubSpot? Who's going to write the content? Like you can't have a CMO driving strategy and doing all that other stuff. So if you underestimate your internal costs around hiring an internal team, you're gonna end up in the same place as if you underestimate your costs to bring on an agency and, and you'll be equally disappointed in the result. And it's not the CMO's fault, which by the way, CMO turnover is top of the list for C-level positions, 42 months is how the average tenure for CMOs. It's not the CMO's fault that the company underinvested in marketing, uh, but that's where people end up finding themselves quite frequently. Yeah, a lot of times, Mike, when the, uh, as we're going through the getting to know you process with prospective clients, they are a bit um, surprised about the investment levels that we suggest, and they end up not going with a firm like ours, but hiring a mid-level marketing manager for, like you said, $80,000 a year. And then they're expecting that second, third job out of college person to execute strategy, tactics, campaigns, and deal with all the technology. It's just, just not possible in today's complicated sales and marketing world. Well, it's also not possible for someone who's working a reasonable amount of hours to do all those things. So you end up capping what your marketing team is, is capable of doing because you've really asked a single person to do too much. They're, they're only going to be able to get an email campaign out. They're only going to be able to do a blog. Maybe they're only going to be able to you know, do a little bit of optimization to the website. They're not going to be able to run the kind of programs and tactics that are necessary to drive the results that you might be expecting if you um, are executing at that level. Let's, uh, let's do a question, Eric, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, that's so, fine. So uh, here's a question that came in um, yesterday. You know, I've been asked, what's my marketing budget for marketing over and over and over again? I don't have a budget. How do you suggest we will go about setting a budget for marketing that includes sales-related digital upgrades? So we talked about that a little bit in terms of just what the world says your budget should be, but how would a company literally go through the exercise of building a budget? How would they do that? 
Well, I think it's important that when you're building a budget, you have to work backwards, right? So you have to first set the goal or objective of what you want to accomplish. Like I said, if you're a million dollar company and you want to grow a little bit, you don't even need a budget, right? You can spend a little here, there ad hoc, and you'll get the pieces in place that you need to generate 10% of uh, additional sales on a million dollar revenue. So let's keep in our minds the $20 million company that wants to be the $30 million company, right? That's a, a better scenario for this scenario. So... If I was going to build a budget, the first thing I'm going to do is work backwards, right? And I'm going to say, okay, in order to hit my revenue goals, I want to generate a million dollars more in sales, right? I'm trying to make the math easy. And if I'm going to generate a million dollars in sales, I know from experience that each one of those customers that I land is going to spend approximately $100,000 at my company. Historically, that's been a pretty good case, right? So now I have $100,000 in revenue coming in uh, with my million dollar effort. Now I have to look at that $100,000 in revenue and I say, well, what would I pay for a, a client that's gonna, a good client or qualified client that's gonna spend $100,000 a year? I look at my margins, which are all over the place depending on your industry. But once again, just to use uh, easy math, I'm gonna say I'm willing to pay 5% of the revenue in order to get that budget. If that's the case, then I'm going to spend $5,000 for each one of those new clients, or in other words, I'm going to spend $50,000 to generate $1 million in um, revenue. Okay, well, if that's the case, now we're starting to make some headway. But if I'm a $20 million firm and I want to be a $30 million firm, well, a million dollars revenue isn't going to get me there. So let's use our uh, multiplier. I'm happy with a $5 million increase this year, and I'll put on my other $5 million next year or the year after. Great. At $5 million, I know that my budget should be $250,000. Now, this is somewhat related to revenue, but it's also like, what's the company willing to pay? And this is where we go into like, you know, outbound sales calling. I will pay you $100 for every meeting you set up. There's very little connection with that, with the actual revenue that's generated from a closed deal. The people are just picking those numbers out of the air. And that's a challenge. But once again, it would seem reasonable. If you told me, hey, Eric, I'll increase the revenue in your company by $5 million in the next 12 months. If you give me $250,000, I'll do that deal all day, every day, because I know that there's lifetime value involved. My team can cross-sell and upsell additional services and products to that group. I could um, uh, have an advocacy program that makes sure that they're generating other referrals, which don't cost me a dime. So I'm a big believer in activity breeds activity. I would take that $5 million and then put it upon my team's uh, shoulders to grow that to $10 million over time. And now my return on investment is even greater. But if someone came to a uh, owner of a $20 million company and said, yep, here's the bill, $250,000 for marketing, I'm pretty sure they'd be like, whoa, whoa, let's talk about this for a second. That seems quite high. But as I just calculated, that's a really good place to start a budget. The other thing I would do is I would look for places where I could steal from other parts of my business in order to do that. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, typically the legacy of American businesses is that they lean to sales to drive the business and they have a nice modest marketing effort to support sales. The challenge with that is that since the internet came around and even more accelerated because of COVID, buyer behavior has changed dramatically. In fact, Nobody wants to be sold to. Everybody's doing their research online. Everybody's talking to their colleagues about referrals. You don't really need the salesperson to sell you anymore. Most of that journey is done by the time I get to a salesperson. 
which means that if I have 10 salespeople and they're each making a base salary of $75,000 plus commission, I'm just picking numbers, and I have four of them that never quite hit their monthly quota, now I have some options. Because if I take the bottom two salespeople on that list and I cut them, I now have 150,000 in my budget to spend on marketing or generating leads for the remaining eight salespeople that are there. When I'm generating leads for them, those are inbound leads, which are much more qualified and easier to close. I take their time away from prospecting, AKA banging on doors and beating the bushes to find leads to sifting through opportunities that now that they could spend time really working through their sales process and closing. So out of that $250,000 budget, if I just think creatively about how I wanna match up with buyer behavior, what's the structure of my sales and marketing alignment, now, all right, I cut 150 and I added another 100 from the budget. Now I could probably spend the 250 to get to that $5 million in revenue that I so crave. Sorry for the long answer to your short question, Mike, but did that make sense? Yes, it did. So I actually today wrote a blog article that's going to be published next week that is talks a lot about specifically what you just mentioned. And it's interesting at what we've learned in talking to companies through uh, the pandemic and and out of the pandemic is many of them are finding that with digital transformation, digital tools, digital marketing, the digital digital sales app applied to their sales process, they are able to do the same amount of sales with less reps, or they are able to do more sales with the same amount of reps. Which kind of and I'm excited to announce this seems to me anyway breaks the idea, which you and I have heard many, many times, well, why would I hire you guys? I should just add two more sales reps and we will grow. That is a very common misconception, in, in my opinion, that if you want to grow, you just throw more sales reps on the fire. I don't think that works. And I don't think that's the way businesses should think about growing revenue. So to your point, clean out the bottom 10% of the sales reps who are already underperforming and transfer some of that money to invest in marketing to generate better quality leads for the remaining set of sales reps. That is one way you can basically finance the budget. Now, Eric, you also gave some very good advice about where to start. And Eric's right, you have to start at the end. You don't look at, well, what can I afford from a marketing perspective? You have to look at what business outcomes you want the marketing to produce. Again, if, you're, if your results expectations are high, you need a budget that's aligned with it. So you have to start with how many leads do I need? And this is something we talk to clients a lot. In fact, we will do this for you if you're interested in actually figuring it out. How many leads do I need to hit my revenue goals? This month, next month, next quarter, next year, how many leads? I, I, I bet if we asked everyone who, who listens and watches this over the next week or two, if they actually know how many leads they need next year to hit their stated revenue goals, I think you'd find very few of them actually know. Oh, I need 1,435 leads. I need 2,000 leads. I need 10,000 leads. You really should know that number. And if you don't know that number, we'll help you figure out what that number is. The difference between that number and your current number is what will define how big or little your marketing program needs to be. And to answer the question, what should my budget be? we can then tell you what your budget should be. So there's really no excuse anymore to not knowing what your budget is or not knowing how many leads you need and going into the year blind around what you're spending money on and what you expect from it. 
Now let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk uh, about what are reasonable results. So it's very, you know, a lot of people are unsure what they're going to get when they start a marketing program. Again, in-house or agency, it really doesn't matter. Whether you're hiring us or you're hiring a director of marketing to, to kick off your, your company's new marketing effort, what should you expect? What should you expect in 30 days? What should you expect in 60 days? What should you expect in 90 days? How long is this going to take is a question we get asked very frequently. And I'm happy to hear Eric talk about this, but I want to make it clear to everybody that this isn't something you do for a short period of time. This isn't something that you do for the next 30 days. This isn't something you do for the next 90 days. This is something that you have to do every day. So if you haven't been investing properly in marketing and you look at it more as uh, a project-based effort or, or you know, uh, to Eric's point, oh, I'll fix my website and then see how we do, I can guarantee you, you're not going to be happy with the results. You wouldn't postpone finance, would you? You wouldn't all of a sudden stop looking at how you're doing financially for a couple of months. You wouldn't take a break from reviewing your financial reports. You want to make sure that the company's making money. You want to make sure that you can pay everybody. You want to make sure that the company is profitable. You would never pause to let that lag while you take a break. And you should think about marketing and even sales uh, optimization and sales operations and sales upgrades the same way. You need to invest in those parts of your business every day and every month. Again, you don't have to do it with an agency, but you have to do it in some way. And if you do take a break, if you do think you can pause it, I can guarantee whatever results you did achieve will quickly start to degrade. And, and everybody that we've ever talked to about this idea of, well, we're going to take a break, I guarantee you when we look back in their, in their HubSpot portal, you can see that the stats have, have declined. Sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's subtle, but there's a decline nonetheless. Eric, you want to add anything to that? Well, the, the phrase reasonable results, you know, I mean, I could talk all day about that. And I think that the challenge that people have is they're not self-aware of where their starting point is. So let me explain. I had a law firm that I was chatting with a few weeks ago. And they said, we need more cases. I said, great. They said, you say that you do marketing and lead generation. Get us some leads. I'm like, great. What would be reasonable? Well, reasonable would be X amount of leads. Okay, great. Let's see where we are today and where we have to go to get there. So the first thing we do is we look at their website. Their website was awful. And I'm saying that objectively, not uh, uh, you know, subjectively. It just didn't have anything that you need on a website in order to drive opportunities for a law firm. It didn't have content. It didn't have search engine optimization. It did not have conversion forms. It did not have those conversion forms with nurture set up so that uh, if I am interested in a specific kind of legal case, someone's kind of building that uh, story why they, I should choose this firm. It didn't have anything. So we said, okay, if you were starting with a really good website, we could get your results much more quickly because all we'd have to do is tweak your website, enhance it a bit. But in your case, your website is so bad that we have to really work on the messaging 
let that flow through to the website, post a new website, create lots of opportunities for people to engage with you on that website. That's a side project that's adjacent to the website. We have to make sure that we could um, have a sales process that when a lead does come in through the website, how does it get into the hands of one of the partners who would talk to those people? And I go on and on. And the guy's like, look, just get me the leads. I'll take care of the rest. I said, well, how can I get you the leads unless you have all of the building blocks ready to go? So that's one of the biggest thing is where is your starting point? If you haven't invested in marketing for the last two or three years, and now all of a sudden you decided that that was going to be the savior of your company, that's a big challenge. But as Mike said, if you've been picking away at marketing and this quarter you're working on enhancing your website and next quarter you're working on developing more content and now you're ready to put your foot on the accelerator, that's a completely different position than someone who hasn't touched their marketing in years. So the first thing you want to do is just be self-aware. Like, where am I starting from? Let me give you another example. When someone said, yep, we're ready to generate leads. Uh, this is the time that we're going to grow our firm. Great. What does your internal team look like from a marketing perspective? We have zero marketing people. Okay. No, half, half, half. Everybody has half a person. Right. right I have a half a person. She so said, <laughs> okay, well, uh, tell me about that half a person. Well, um, she's really like an administrative assistant, but sometimes when she has a little bit of time, she puts out our monthly email newsletter. Uh, we've gotten two out in the last six months because she's been busy. Okay, let's be self-aware again. Let's say that we start to crank up your marketing machine, right? Who's going to liaison with the agency that you're hiring? Who's going to uh, understand about what we're presenting, make those approvals, give us feedback on things that we need to really build that out? There's no one there. And and the owner of the companies are always challenged to liaison with us because they're so busy and they're juggling multiple areas of the business, not just marketing. So once again, like really understanding where you are today and where you want to go. And as my final comment to Mike's point, when we ask folks like, well, how many leads do you need or how much do you want to grow your business? Typically answer is, ha, 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 we want to double. So we have to explain like, look, if you want to double, it's going to require all these things from where you are today to doubling your lead flow. Are you ready to do the hard work, the investment and so forth? So, you know, I love the people that are like, look, I know Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm looking for a strategic partner who will work with me strategically that will help me piece together a program so that a year and a half, two years from now, I've added an inbound digital lead channel and my salespeople can take them all the way home with the support that you give them because those people are very self-aware of reasonable results and where they're starting from. Problem is those piece, uh, folks are fewer than the other folks. Yeah, I'll tell one story that I think might kind of wrap this up in, in a bow for our audience. Uh, when you go, and Eric knows, I love the doctor analogy as it relates to what we do, but when you go to the doctor and the doctor spends time diagnosing your condition and comes back to you with a thoughtful prognosis and treatment plan, you very frequently will ask the doctor, well, how long is it going to take until I start to feel better? And that's a very fair question. Obviously, everyone wants to know, you know, how, how long am I going to have to feel bad before it starts to get better? And most of the good doctors will say, well, that's a, it's a fair question, but I don't really know because the treatment plan I'm recommending to you, I have to see how you do with it. Everybody's body responds differently. The doctor is doing their best to recommend a treatment plan that she thinks is going to work. But until they start to get real data and real feedback on how it's working for you, it's difficult for the doctor to promise 
it's going to take a month. It's going to take two months. It's going to take six months. So it's fair for them to say, we'll have to see. Some people respond very quickly to this treatment. Other people take longer. And the answer to how long is it going to take and what should I expect after a month or two months or three months, it's the same when it comes to marketing. We're going to recommend and anyone you would hire is going to put it to, going to install what they think you need to grow your business and generate the amount of leads you're asking them to generate. But how your business responds, how you personally interact with the marketing people, how your competition responds, uh, uh, how your, your existing assets respond, all of those things are similar to the doctor scenario. And you really have to see. In our case, we know much better after 30 days when we can start to see what's working and what's not working as well as we thought. Every month we get a little smarter. Every month the program gets dialed in a little bit better. Every month the program gets optimized, just like the doctor would do. They would say, hey, the 10 milligram prescription that I prescribed is not helping you. Let's try 20. Oh, 20 is too much. You, you feel a little nauseous when you take 20. Let's go to 15. Like there's, there's adjustments that get made during the course of that treatment plan to dial in what is helping you feel better. The same exact thing happens with marketing. Again, whether you hire us, and by the way, if you're going to hire an agency, that's what an agency should be doing. If they're doing the same thing every month, then that's not the right way to handle it. If you bring it in-house, your in-house team should be responding the same way. Let's look at what's working and let's adjust it every single month to make sure we're optimizing performance. So that is going to contribute to getting you where you need to be faster, as opposed to just letting things run and hope it produces the right results. Yeah, I mean, I just want to emphasize what you said earlier, Mike. Um, stay away from the conversation. I mean, we're agency guys, so we're always saying, well, you hire an agency. But if it's your internal team, it's exactly the same thing, right? Are they spending a couple of hours every week looking at the data uncovering the insights, and then dialing in, aka optimizing the program uh, to get better results. Now, we all know on this call that nobody's doing that, right? They don't have the time to sit and spend three hours with a cup of tea going through the data and finding the opportunities that the data presents. And that's a challenge because you can't optimize your program unless you're looking at the data. That's another uh, essential part of marketing uh, these days. Yeah. Not only is it looking at the data, but you really need the experience to know what the data is telling you. That That's also something we see broken in many uh, of our prospects marketing efforts is they are looking at the data. They have dashboards and reports, but they don't know what the data is telling them. So they don't know how to respond and create the action plan around it. Let's do another question. Uh, this is a good one because I think almost everybody can relate to this. So this question says, like most companies, we can't afford to do everything. So how do we go about prioritizing what we should be doing to keep our investment in marketing reasonable? So let me take a crack at this, Eric, and then you can comment. Uh, you're, th this, this person is correct. It, it's literally impossible to do everything. It, it could be impossible from just an hours and a time perspective. Again, if you have one person or like we were joking around half a person, doing your marketing for you, they can only get so much done in 20 hours a week. So, and if you have a, 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 any kind of budget, budgetary limits, which again, most people do, you just can't do everything. So how do you know what to do in the time or budget that you're able to afford? So the answer is really quite simple. You have to look at those things that are going to produce the best results for the least amount of time. And this is a prioritization methodology that the team at Square Two uses with clients all the time. We look at what is going to take a little bit of time 
and produce a big lift. So let me give you a very practical example. If you have landing pages on your website and those landing pages are getting visitors, it's quite possible that some of those landing pages are underperforming. Now, a landing page should probably be performing somewhere in the 40 to 50% range. You could have a good one that does much better than that. Again, these landing pages are very specific to, to uh, offers that you're publishing or even campaigns that you're running. So it should be designed very specifically for a very specifically for an individual who's coming to that page with action in mind. So that's why it should have a very high performance expectation. If it's performing at 20% and you're getting 100 people to come to that site every single month, that's 20 people a month, 20 leads a month from that specific landing page. If you were able to get that page to do 40%, you would have doubled the amount of leads from that single landing page. And when it comes to uh, optimizing a single landing page, you're not talking about a lot of time. Some of the tests we run on landing pages could be reworking the headline. Sometimes we swap the secondary, the, the H2 headline with the H1 headline because marketers tend to do fancy, sexy headlines and practical subheads and sometimes switching those produces better results. Sometimes putting a different image in produces better results. Sometimes shortening the form produces better results. Sometimes adding social proof to the landing page produces better results. Sometimes optimizing the copy produces better results. So in 20 seconds, I rattled off four or five experiments and tests you can run on that landing page. And all of those things would literally take an hour at the most and could potentially double the amount of leads from that page. Now, what if you had 10 pages and you spent 10 hours and you doubled the leads from those 10 pages? You can drive a significant improvement in the number of leads in your program with that limited amount of time. So you can't afford everything. You can't, you don't have the time to do everything. So think about this prioritization methodology. What am I going to do? It's going to take me a little bit of time, but it's going to have a big impact. And, and if you want some other suggestions like that, hit us up after the show or, or on our website. We could talk to you about this all day because there's a ton of things that fall into this category. Alternatively, to Eric's point, if we're going to build you a new website, it's going to take a long time. It's going to add value. It's going to produce leads, but that's not something that can be done in a couple of days. Certainly not something that can be done in, in an hour or two, like the example we gave you. So it may be important and it may produce big lift, but it's going to take a lot of time. So you want to think about how you prioritize your own marketing tasks in a similar way. Want to add anything, Eric? Yeah, I want to come at it from a different perspective, Mike. I want to look at it from a metrics perspective, because I've never met any company that had an unlimited marketing budget. And when I say that, I'm being very serious about that. We not, none, of, none of us have unlimited marketing budget. So what I have up on the screen now is what we call a revenue cycle model. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but this is basically the buyer's journey that we will chart out in all the different stages of how people buy from your company. This company at the top here, this was their current performance, and they wanted to go from 15 clients a month to 50 new clients, but they didn't have an unlimited budget. So where did we focus our time? We immediately identified that they got 60,000 visitors to their website every month. No need to get more visitors. Let's work with the ones we have. So we did not invest in things like search engine optimization or paid campaigns. But look here. 
in their current state, they only had a 0.42 conversion rate, which was way too low for a company with this kind of traffic. So we focused on adding more content, more calls to actions, offers, conversion pages, and look what happened. They went for more than double to a 1% conversion rate, which now puts 600 people in their database as opposed to the 252 they were getting before. So I'm looking at the metrics that are in the most need, and that's where I'm allocating. Another quick example is this company's sales team only had a 25% close rate. We said, gosh, if we could move the needle just a little bit up to 35%, that's really going to drive some revenue. So we did some sales enablement. How can we support their salespeople from a marketing perspective to give them case studies and nurture campaigns, sales sequences to help them close deals? So by looking at the metrics, then you can say, well, these things are working well and these things aren't working well. Let's obviously allocate our very modest budget into the areas that aren't working as well. When you get all the little steps in the process working well, then you get the compounding effect. Now everything's really giving you a one plus one plus one plus one equals three effect, which is excellent. Really good uh, advice there. And again, that revenue cycle model is what we use to help clients and prospects too know how many leads they need. Again, because when they start to tell us what they want to do from a revenue perspective, we have to run some calculations to actually figure out what the marketing has to do to generate that amount of activity. So that model has a dual use for us. So we're, we're in the home stretch here and I wanna to get to all the questions because I really enjoy answering questions for people uh, on the show. So this is a good one um, because I think this also happens frequently. So here's the question. Can you help me better capture marketing related expenses? Related expenses? So I have a better insight into what we're currently spending. For example, do tickets to the Cubs game count as marketing expenses? So again, I think this is kind of what we talked about earlier, but some people might not realize that some of what their expenses include should probably be allocated to marketing. And when you look at it like that, there may be an additional place there to save some money and move that money into more results-oriented programs. You got a comment about that? Yeah, I mean, the Cubs tickets is a wonderful example, right? Like, where do you actually classify that? Is that relationship building? Is that uh, uh, it's in the marketing column, but sometimes the employees use the tickets when nobody's using them. All right, now that's HR. So it's really hard to quantify that. I, I think that you could put together buckets, right? So take a trade show, for example. If I'm going to do a pre-show email blast to drive people to my booth, that's straight up lead generation. But if I'm taking four clients out for dinner, is that marketing? No, I, I think that goes under the you know advocacy uh, uh, category because I'm, I'm strengthening the relationship with my existing clients. Um, Let's be if honest. If you're, if you're going to a trade show, all of the expenses associated with the trade show are getting allocated to marketing, right? 100%, 100%. Right, right. I mean, in, in general, that's the way people would approach right, it, right? Right. And don't dare steal from the sales budget because those sales folks, they need uh, money for lunch and playing golf, right? So that's another uh, set of categories. But I think that um, it's really hard, like uh, segmenting your expenses into direct lead generation uh, perhaps client relationships. Uh, there's a public relations budget as well that would probably be pretty strong. Um, I might put social media under the public relations umbrella if I'm pushing things out and you know uh, getting in front of the right people. But then again, if I have an offer on my Facebook campaign, that's kind of marketing. So it gets a little bit of blurry between the lines there. 
What I would say, though, though, is that if you spill all that out on the kitchen table and sort through it, at least it'll give you some better insight into where you're spending money. And things that perhaps aren't performing can be rotated into things like digital lead gen. Yeah, I'm going to go a little farther into this. And I'm going to tell you that those Cubs tickets, they're marketing expenses. I'm going to tell you that your holiday cards at the end of the year is a marketing expense. I'm going to tell you that the gifts you send your best clients are a marketing expense. I'm going to tell you that the golf and the lunches that the sales team are, are, are expensing is a marketing expense, whether it ends up in the sales budget or the marketing budget, it's a marketing expense. They're, those salespeople are paying to hang out with prospects. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a marketing expense. And I think this is a, an excellent opportunity to look at your existing budget. And by the way, that those entertainment line items are usually very clear on budgets and in the financials, right? The T&E line item is something that companies look at frequently. And I would consider um, being a little more frugal with some of those line items to help you fund a more aggressive digital marketing and digital sales go to market. Do you need oh, oh, 82? Only if that's your goal, Mike, only if that's your goal. Well, if you're listening to this show, I'm assuming that there's some uh, goal setting conversations going on in your company. I'm going to tell you that instead of going to 82 Cubs home games, you'll probably be fine if you went to 40 or even 16, right? And that's a lot of money for those tickets. You don't have one ticket to the game. You have, you have four tickets to the game. And I know employees like tickets. If you want to keep tickets aside for the team, Eric's right, throw that in the HR budget. That's not a marketing expense if you're giving it out to employees as a, you know, a, a good job. Here you go. Go, go to the game. And honestly, some companies have tickets to the baseball team. They have tickets to the football team. They have tickets to the hockey team. They have tickets to the basketball team. You know, those are fun. Don't get me wrong. But if you're taking prospects to those games, it's a marketing expense. And if you want to get more out of it, in my opinion, some of that money can be rotated into some of the things we're talking about here today. Yeah, I mean, should I buy season tickets to all four of my uh, city's teams and have a crappy website? Not sure that's the right move. I would agree completely. Okay, let's do one more question. Yes. Um, and then we will wrap up. So this person wants to invest in a complete digital transformation strategy for their company, but I need to find a way to fund it. Other than what we talked about, obviously, Eric, what innovative ideas do you have that you and your team have found over the years to help me reallocate funds for this type of initiative? Now, let's not do the sales initiative. Let's not do the sales reps and let's not do the Cubs tickets. What other ways can this person look to creatively generate revenue to fund their engagement? I have a couple of good ones. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, just going to throw one to start and then I'll throw it over to you is I yeah. love clients that go after or, or uh, commit the effort to go after co-op money, right? They're all reselling something. They all have strategic partners. Let's get some co-op money in there and then allocate that towards marketing. We had a great example of um, uh, one of our clients is John Deere and John Deere's local distributorships uh, were our clients who were looking to sell more tractors, right? And they use their co-op money for digital lead gen, which I thought was brilliant as opposed to a billboard or, you know, Phillies tickets. So once again, look for co-op dollars. Some people don't make the effort to go find them or ask for them, and that's easy money. That's a good idea. I'm going to tell you that some of your marketing can actually be revenue generating. So prior to Square Two, I ran marketing for a software company, and we did a, a quarterly event. It was an in-person event. You want to call it like a mini trade show, mini conference. And that event 
generated revenue. We had sponsors who paid to be part of the event. We had sponsors who paid to speak at the event. We sold tickets to the event for attendees. And it was a self-funded marketing activity. And it was not a little bit of money. It was, it was quite a bit of money on a regular basis. And the ticket sales and the sponsorship sales and the sales that speakers paid to talk to the groups, the, the attendees, more than paid for the expense associated with the event. Now, it was a big lift. Don't let me kid you. It was a lot of work and, and a lot of effort on our part to put those events on. And today, you wouldn't even run an event like that because of you know, the current situation, but you can do a much smaller program where you're doing a monthly webinar that has a similar objective. You can charge people a modest fee to attend. You can charge sponsors a fee to, to get access to your audience and the people that you're marketing to, they can be exposed to. If you pick the right partners, they can introduce you to new uh, potential prospects. And you can literally break even or go cash flow positive on your own marketing tactics without a, a lot of effort. It just takes a little bit of thought in terms of how you want to position it. It does take some effort to build a program that someone would be really someone would be willing to sponsor or willing to invest in. But again, with a good strategy and a good team behind you, you can actually turn some of your marketing into revenue generating programs. That's wonderful, Mike. I'll start sending invoices every time I'll have a, I have a prospect call. Well, you joke, but it's not, you know, when, when people are signing up for things and they're excited to be part of it, like they're happy to give you 20 bucks, 40 bucks to come to a webinar if it's going to be a half day and it's going to have good speakers. And, you know, it really doesn't cost you much to put on a show like that, right? You really have to Absolutely. just kind of post it with the technology and, and, and make sure you market it aggressively and leverage your partners. And, you know, you, before you know it, you might make five or $10,000 every time you do this and off, off you go. So yeah, $10,000 um, goes a long way on digital legion. It does, you know, from our, that could be, you know, if you did that four times a year, you basically pay for what, 25% of your program. So um, at $10,000 a month anyway. So there, there are quite a few innovative ways to, to look at how you fund this kind of thing. And, you know, if that's too aggressive for you, if you've never done anything like that, then I think you have to go back to some of the ideas we talked about earlier, looking more aggressively at expenses and making sure that they're allocated properly or looking at sales performers and making sure all of them are contributing um, uh, and, and then go from there. Awesome. So let me just check the questions and make sure we covered all of them and make sure we talked about everything that we wanted to cover today. Oh, this is a good one. We didn't really talk about this. And it's not a question, but how do we, uh, you know, talk a little bit, Eric, in the last couple of minutes about keeping track of the results, right? So we finally get somebody who says, yes, guys, you're right. I, I got to invest in it. You know, here's $20,000 a month. And I, you know, I'm going to be patient because we haven't done anything like this before. And, and off we go. And yes, thank you. You, you set your, my expectations properly. So I know what to, what to expect from a performance perspective. But how do we keep track of it, right? The question that a lot of people ask is, well, how do I know I'm getting good ROI on this investment? So if I'm investing $20,000 a month, I need to see some ROI on that, right? How do I keep track of it? Especially in the beginning when I, you know, I might not be getting 40, 50, 60 leads a month. You're still building my program. I understand. I got to put the foundation in place. How would you answer that question, Eric? Well, I mean, it, 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 there's a couple different things. First thing is, if you don't have a system for uh, attributing where leads come from 
and how you can track them through your system, you, you got to start there, right? Because you can't fly blind. Uh, I talked to lots of folks that I'm like, hey, can you send me a copy of your Google Analytics report so I can analyze it? Oh, do I get that anymore? I remember I used to. Like, these are lots of free tools that we could use for tracking. If you're on HubSpot, our favorite tool, there's a wonderful reporting package built in. If you're on HubSpot and a variety of other softwares like Salesforce or Drift or something like that, then you could use a tool like Databox, right? And Databox will bring in all those data streams into one area and you could start to visualize that way. So the first thing is you got to set up some kind of reporting and analytics system. The second thing you got to do is the second you begin a new adventure into sales and marketing, you got to snap a baseline of what current performance is. And then you have to have some open conversation about where do you want to go in what time frame. So if I snap a baseline today that I'm generating three leads a week, but I know that utopia for me would be 10 leads a week, I know that my delta seven leads a week is what I'm trying to move the needle on. So at least I now have a understanding of where I am and I have some goals. Now, the tools that we set up are real-time tracking devices. You can look at them every minute if you want. You can look at them every day, every week. So that's when I say, okay, let's put aside bi-monthly, monthly if you have to, times where we gather all of our data, we compare it to the month before, we see what's improving, we see what isn't improving, and we're looking at trends analysis. So what I mean by that is, wow, a lot of people seem to be interested in this specific landing page on our website. What can we do to now capitalize on that to get a better return on investment? So this is an ongoing exercise of looking at what the data is showing you, understanding what it's pointing to, and then uh, leaning into some of those areas that are working. Conversely, if you're trying your hardest to affect some kind of results on a tactic that's not performing and you've come in it three different ways already, cut it because there's no amount of effort that's going to fix that compared to the effort you would put forth in something that is working. And Mike said it himself earlier that that's important to understand that, you know, cutting is just as important as investing. And, you know, that's how I would start the conversation. Now, in all the companies that I talk to, there are literally less than 5% of them that have that simple system that I just described set up. And they have all the tools at their disposal. Most of them are free or super affordable, but we're not taking the time to track get the insights, make adjustments and move on. So that's where I would start. Anything to add to that, Mike? Well, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to talk a little bit about ROI because I think it's an overused term in our industry. You know, you're not buying a bond, okay? You're not buying stock. You're, you're not buying a piece of equipment that you know is going to increase productivity by 20% and you'll be able to sell 50% more widgets and at this price, blah, blah, blah. That's not what you're doing here. So... While I know CEOs uh, like to look at it like that, I'm going to push back a little bit and say it's 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 almost the same as the investment in your own CEO, right? Someone you don't say, well, what's my ROI on what we pay the CEO? Like you need a CEO. The CEO is driving the company. If they're performing, everyone is satisfied with what the the value that they're adding. No one asks about the ROI on the investment in the CEO's compensation. So I'm gonna push back a little bit on the ROI conversation because you know what, if your website is bad, I don't care what the ROI is on it, you need a better one. 
if you're not producing any content, I don't care what the ROI is on it. You need some content to engage with your prospects. If you don't have a sales process, I don't care what the ROI is. You need a documented visual sales process that every single sales rep is going to follow like clockwork so you can be positive that they're all telling the same story to prospects at the same time and giving those prospects an amazing experience. The money will come. The leads will come. You can't look at it like, what is the ROI from the money I spent last month on marketing? At least not until the programs are actually performing at a clip where you see a significant increase in leads and you see those leads flowing through the sales process and you can attribute the revenue back to the marketing campaigns, which you will get to eventually if you're patient, which leads me to next week's show where we are going to talk about long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. Get me leads today versus install a digital transformation platform for my company to grow. Now, before we leave, I do want to answer this question from Facebook Live from Bryn who commented, by the way, Bryn, thanks for watching. I'm a speaker on digital summits almost every month. And although I do pay to speak, I market them to my network and bring in opportunities for the host. So back to what I commented about how some of these marketing activities can actually generate revenue and pay for themselves. This is a great practical example from one of our uh, uh, viewers about how she leverages her network to produce leads for the events that she's participated in. So Bryn, thank you very much for the question and the comment. Please keep listening. Guys, thank you so much for watching, listening and subscribing. Eric and I are super happy to be doing this. I have to say, this is our third attempt at a show and this is the first time that I actually look forward to doing it. No, no disrespect to the other shows we did, but I feel like we're starting to get in a groove. We have a nice format. I love the topics that we're talking about. I'd like to think we're helping people. If you guys do feel like we are helping you, hit me up um, and email me, mike at square2marketing.com. I'll answer your questions via email. Go to the webpage for what's wrong with revenue on our website and, um, pick up the show on YouTube and where podcasts are hosted near you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you all next Wednesday. Thanks a lot. Bye. See you guys.